I, I would be excited to see how this develops into a true community-owned project that really creates an, an ownership, a participation, and an engagement that looks different and that people can feel really good about. I second that. I would love to get more of our people involved. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for our latest episode of the Clean Energy Resource Team's Energy Futures podcast featuring leaders from the Prairie Island Indian community. I'm Marie Donahue, sustainability storyteller, joined today by my colleague, Peter Lindstrom, CERT's Manager of Public Sector and Community Engagement. Hello, everybody. I'm Peter Lindstrom with the Clean Energy Resource Teams. Thanks, Pete, for co-hosting this conversation, especially since you've been working closely with our guests on some of the efforts we'll be discussing today. Before we get started, though, we want to acknowledge that Minnesota, where we are recording this podcast and where our audience is largely based, is located on traditional, ancestral, and contemporary lands of Indigenous people, that these lands were cared for and called home by the Dakota, Anishinaabe, and Northern Cheyenne peoples, and other Native people since time immemorial. With this land acknowledgement, we honor, respect, and affirm tribal sovereignty, and we will work to hold ourselves and our partners accountable to American Indian peoples and nations. Specifically, we're looking forward to our conversation with leaders from the Prairie Island Indian community today to support and raise awareness about the tribe's ongoing efforts to advance a clean energy future through the Prairie Island Net Zero Project. Prairie Island Indian Community Tribal Council President Shelley Buck and General Counsel Jesse Stomsky-Syme, thank you both so much for joining us today and sharing the story of this exciting project. Thank you for having us. To start, uh, could I have each of you introduce yourselves and share both the work that you do uh, and how uh, your backgrounds and paths led you to the roles representing the Prairie Island Indian community today? Um, I'm Shelly Buck. I'm the president of the Prairie Island Indian community. Um, I am a tribal member, so uh, that kind of led me to my path. Um, I grew up in Indiana in a small town got my bachelor's degree in accounting at IU, Indiana University, go Hoosiers. Um, I, uh, <laughs> Jesse, we're big 10 and so we're always competing there. I decided that I didn't grow up in the culture. Um, I grew up with my non-native mother in Indiana and I wanted my kids to grow up in the culture. So moved them up here. And then I also wanted to work for the tribe and eventually be on council. Um, so that's what we did. We moved up here about, oh gosh, 14 or 15 years ago now. And um, I've worked for the tribe or been on council uh, since I've moved up here. I haven't worked for anyone else. Um, and that's that's my goal is to even, even if I end up working outside of the tribe, I want it to be in a job where I can help push tribal issues and tribal um, concerns. Thank you. And Jesse? Yes, good afternoon. I'm Jesse Stomsky Syme, and I am a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation of Oklahoma. I, um, I graduated from UW Madison, so go Badgers, respectfully, President Buck. <laughs> and uh, then I went to, I played professionally basketball <clears throat> for years, and then I went to law school at what was then William Mitchell. I graduated and worked for one of the largest firms here in the Twin Cities doing a variety of work, uh, but then decided to focus where my heart and, and my passion and who I am is, and that is representing tribes and tribal interests. So I moved over to a small boutique Indian law firm 
And as of five years ago, approximately, I uh, have had the honor of joining Prairie Island Indian Community as their general counsel. And in that role, uh, get to work with President Buck and uh, her fellow council members and the community and oversee the legal department and the government relations and government affairs for the tribe. Great, thank you for both of those backgrounds. Um, can you each describe a bit, so since our podcast here is, um, and our work at the Clean Energy Resource Teams is around clean energy, uh, could you describe a bit your personal motivations and any experience you each had had before, before your roles working to advance energy or en uh, environmental justice related projects or policy? Yeah, for me, um, I'm right on that cusp of, you know, where people didn't really care, the generations where people didn't really take into consideration the environment and, and all this stuff. Um, it wasn't a, a thought. And then into, you know, the, the generation where they are, it's really their thing now. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle there. I know growing up, we used to recycle newspapers. Um, and that was all we did. We didn't do anything else, think about anything else. Um, growing as I grow old or grew older, it's like, um, you know, I started to recycle little things. Like now we recycle the plastics and cans and, and papers. And um, actually my knowledge, a lot of my um, desire to do this comes from my kids. My kids have taught me a lot. Um, they've really um, inspired me. You know, they're just opening my mind into what can be and the tribe itself has been talking about solar panels and windmills and all these different things for so many years that you know the idea of doing this larger project is just so exciting and and it's really made me see a bigger picture and more things that we can do even with the community garden we have we have a green team that uh, does a lot of work with the casino as well and you know with composting and and recycling and the council, I think it was the last council or maybe in the council before we decided that at the casino, we were done using products with the food, particularly that was harmful to the environment. So we told the casino, you know, even though it costs more, it's time to get the, the cardboard or paper structured containers for the, the food. It's, it's time to start looking at more environmentally conscious products instead of what we have been for so many years. Thank you, President Buck. Jesse, do you have any experience past or present uh, on other related projects or policy? I, I might be a little a bit unique of the guests on your show is that I don't have a ton of environmental experience, clean energy experience, uh, candidly. And before coming to Prairie Island, I worked in my legal career on um, you know issues that would graze environmental matters, but nothing head on uh, when it came to Prairie Island, the nuclear power plant, which the tribe is uh, you know literally under uh, about 700 feet from the nearest home is the Prairie Island nuclear generating plant on the island that the tribe is, is on. And uh, the history of that and what the tribe faces with that is unique in the entire country. There's no other human beings that are that close to nuclear waste or a, an operating nuclear plant. And while Excel Energy, um, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not bad blood there, there's a relationship there. The fact remains that this tribe must bear the burden of that potential catastrophic, catastrophic event every moment of every day on their ancestors' land and on where 
the tribe lives and breathes and, and operates its businesses today. So that um, was something that I, in order to represent them, had to quickly understand and I'm continuing to learn about. It's a big issue. But coupled with that is the opportunity for net zero, which we will discuss in detail today, but that has really given me personally an opportunity to learn about this field and also, you know, to, to try to expand the opportunity for Prairie Island and, and all tribes, hopefully, looking in the bigger picture. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you for that context and that introduction to some of the components of this project and motivations for that too. And so my next question was around digging into the, the main topic of today's conversation, the Prairie Island Net Zero Project. And President Buck, you've said uh, that this project has the power to change the narrative and use energy production as a force for good. Uh, how did the tribe first come to envision and advocate for a net zero community? And then Jesse, you were speaking to what burdens this project seeks to address, but just digging into maybe a bit more of that, uh, as well as what values, narrative, or stories help ground uh, this work, um, maybe through that, uh, some of the cultural dimensions or some of the other tribal history. This is the story of uh, her people. So President Buck, please go ahead. Thank you. We've been talking, like I said earlier, about different things that we could do, little things that we could do on Prairie Island as far as um, solar panels on the casino roof, um, looking at windmills. We were looking at things like this back my first term on council, which was gosh, 11 years ago now, maybe 12. And at that time, it's amazing to see how far the industry has come just in 12 years. You know, we don't produce enough wind down on Prairie Island for windmills. Plus there's just some issues with windmills that um, as a native person, I have concerns about. Um, solar panels at the time, our roof wouldn't be able to sustain the ones, at least back then, they were too heavy. There were all these different problems with it. So we're like, okay, well, let's just keep looking at this. So each time we would look at different things and nothing really seemed to fit. And as far as this project, we weren't, we're getting the money from the RDA, RDA fund, which used to be the RDF fund. We weren't ever able to apply for grants through that program because we are not Excel customers. Um, it wasn't until a few years ago when they changed the RDF to RDA that they also included an, a provision where Prairie Island could apply for these funds since we're the ones that are uh, shoulder, shouldering the majority of the burden for them. When we had the ability to do that, we started to think bigger and why don't we just become net zero and see what, what's involved with that? So, you know, we really got excited and looked into it. And for us as native people, you know, it's, it's our job to be stewards, good stewards of the land and the environment. And we have a connection with everything. You know, we don't just see the land as something we can farm or we don't see the animals as something we can shoot and, and eat there. We have a connection with them. They each have their own their own soul, their own lives, their own spirit. Um, and to be able to help protect that, we're hoping that with this project, um, we're able to come up with something that other people, other tribes, other areas, other states can look to for ways to improve how they treat the environment as well. And, um, you know, we, we only have one planet. And we have to, our job is to look out for the next seven generations and what are we gonna leave the next seven generations um, needs to be something that they can survive on. And currently that's not 
the case. So, you know, it's our job as, as my job as a Dakota leader to look out for the next seven generations. Every um, decision I make has to take that into account, how it's going to affect the next seven generations. And I can't, I know I keep saying seven generations, but it's that important that um, it has to be thought of. And, and this is just a perfect project for that. And we're excited about it. And um, I was excited, but kind of, and eh, not sure, just because it's gonna be a lot of work. And, it, we don't really have anybody that's really that experienced in this field. So it's like, oh, what are we doing? But then after having the interviews with the top four, especially candidates, actually all of them just gave me so much excitement and just to see where this can go. It's, it's pretty cool. I'm excited for it now. Well, I tell you, it, it is extremely cool. And uh, uh, as we started this conversation, there's been a lot of work done so far, including a lot of work at the legislature to get the uh, $46 million appropriated in the first place. And I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the negotiations uh, that that uh, took place, just the legislative process. And uh, clearly a, a lot of work has been done in that area and, and uh, successful work uh, at the end of the day, a, a $46 million appropriation. So. If you could address that, that'd be wonderful. I'll let Jesse do that. She's the, the key negotiator on our stuff. <laughs> well, it was, um, yeah, we, there was a, a team of us, but to understand what happened there, um, really it is important to understand the context that, that President Buck laid and the fact that Prairie Island was a, a horrible energy story for them was forced upon them within in you know in 1973 when the nuclear power plant uh, was built without consultation without uh, discussion with the tribe whose homeland was that tiny island and if you you know if you are a tribal member or if you spend any time learning about the history of tribes one thing you will know for certain is that the notion of environmental injustice is everywhere and this is a prime example of environmental injustice that uh, I, I, I feel strongly that if this were to the siting of a, of a power plant like this on top of a reservation, if that were to happen today, it would be a standing rock type uh, event. And uh, I, would, I would like to believe it would never happen again, but I, you know, I, I would like to hope that. <laughs> so that story is really, uh, you can't tell the net zero story without that because uh, as President Buck said, there was, there was this money that was required to be put in the RDA to try to motivate to, to not rely on nuclear power. So the purpose of this was to generate new ideas, new sources of energy uh, and, and innovation. There have been a lot of efforts to take money from that pot and use it for other things. And that has increased in recent years. Prairie Island saw that and, you know, one, they became eligible to seek funds, but two, they saw that this, this fund was being raided for purposes that were unrelated to the original cause. And so Prairie Island took it upon themselves to uh, create a project that would benefit them, the bearers of all of the risk of, or a lot of the risk of, of the power, the nuclear power effort and uh, do something that was well within the, the corner, the, 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 the parameters of the RDA, RDF, 
and, and develop this concept that would change their energy story from that of a victim and that of, you know, complete threat mitigation to an empowering story, an innovative story, and one that will change the energy future for Prairie Island. And that will actually, one of my favorite parts of this story is that native people and, and tribes have always lived in harmony with, with nature and, and harvested from nature in, a, in all different ways and, and used it to benefit our people and our communities. And that is what I think the vision for the Prairie Island Net Zero Project is as well. It's harvesting the resources of whatever it is, the sun, uh, uh, thermal, you know, whatever you want, whatever will end up being in this project, but doing it in harmony and doing it in a way that will help Prairie Island thrive. Uh, and it, it also is, I think, an opportunity to have a blueprint for Native communities and others to go from, like, as President Buck said, from zero in this field or, or just little bitty efforts to something much more um, cohesive to a complete net zero system um, or, or something of that sort. And so we brought all of these ideas to the legislature and we were pretty clear that we didn't, you know, this wasn't a shovel ready project. We are in very much in the development and building blocks of this project now, but I believe that the uh, representatives saw in this an opportunity, not just for Prairie Island and not just to recognize the situation and this, this energy issue that Prairie Island was facing, but that there are a lot of communities out there that need to, we need to learn how to go from zero to hundred. And that this was an opportunity for the greater state of Minnesota and elsewhere to figure out how to do this. And this was what exactly what this pot of money with the RDA is for. So those were part of the discussions and we, we had a lot of support at the legislature. We had a lot of great conversations and a lot of excitement and it took a few sessions to get through it um, because we got caught up in some macro politics and you know, that's just the name of the game sometime. But we, we really feel like we have a lot of supporters and a lot of believers and, and a lot of partners at the state of Minnesota. Fantastic. And I, I love how you uh, alluded to how uh, you know, the solutions are not all set in concrete. There's going to be a process to, to find out how you can be more energy efficient or utilize renewables. Um, talk about a, a little bit now that now that you do have the money secured. Uh, what's the what's the next phases in in this important project? Okay. Um, well, we <laughs> we need to get the the team on board that we're going to be consulting with and. Um, start the planning process. It'll start with uh, obviously getting the data from the past years so they can see what's going on and then having community meetings with uh, not only our community members, our tribal members, but others to uh, see what everybody's wants and needs and, and thoughts are. You know, we really want to include the community. It needs to be a community-based program, just like with policing. When you have the community buy-in, it goes so much more successful than than if you hadn't. So um, I think a lot of the time will be spent on that piece of it. And of course, you know, COVID makes it a little bit more difficult, but we'll have to be doing uh, virtual meetings and, and maybe if we can uh, later on doing in-person meetings where we're able to space people out and they might have to um, sign up to be part of the group and have to have different sessions for more people to be involved. But I think that, that key 
community component is what's the most important right now. And, and I'd like to see one of my big things too, is to see an educational piece to that of our younger people that would be interested in this field or that are interested in this field. I'm hoping through this process, we'll start to garner more support and more of our tribal members who are interested in it and that our younger ones will want to um, get an education or be a part of this and learn and uh, be able to run the, the program uh, once it's completed and, and work in it and, and do whatever repairs or, or maintenance that needs to be done. And, and I just see this as a huge opportunity for all of us. And then once the planning's completed, we can get, get moving on uh, finding the vendors to, to make this plan a reality for us. And I'm sure Jesse has more to add to that. To add a few more things, we ran a very robust RFP process for uh, the main partnership uh, that, that we see as our sort of guide in the clean energy universe. And it was a long process that we put a lot of time in and, and we hope anyone involved could say it was done with a lot of integrity uh, and a lot of thought. And it resulted in what we think is a great group of uh, organizations that we are hope to announce this week uh, with the press release who those partners are. But I, and President Buck, I, I hope I'm not stealing or saying too much, but I, I do think people will see that there was a emphasis on finding partners from Indian country uh, because that is something that we look to always do is empower native owned businesses to help us achieve new and exciting things. And so that's, that's something you, you will likely see. And um, we also hope to really focus on having lo local partners as well as we continue to build a team and into the development of this project. We have a report due to the legislature, you know, the, the, the skeleton of a report uh, in July. So that will be our next milestone and that will uh, be something that we are excited to share with everyone. President Buck, you spoke a little bit to some of your visions for what uh, or how this project might benefit the um, Prairie Island and Indian community, um, starting from community members and some of the households through education or job development perhaps, but then all the way to the tribe at large. And I'm curious sort of what if there are any kind of categories of benefits you already have in mind that you hope to sort of be assessing or evaluating and, and kind of looking toward to measure the success of this program over time? Um, obviously, I'd like to, to see this grow. It'll be steps. Obviously, we're not going to be able to get this all done in one swoop, but, you know, steps. And hopefully, once we get close to that end step, that will more things will have come out in the industry and we'll be able to continue this even into more things and include the um, community side on the, the individual homes and things and get our people to start thinking ways that they can um, do things to their own homes to involve this, whether they live on the reservation or not, that it's something that they, they can uh, look for. Um, I'm hoping to see um, some kind of programs for our kids where even our younger little ones um, during summer school that we have every year, other than this year with COVID, um, that they can do tours or, or have little uh, workshops where they, they learn this industry in fun ways. This isn't my side of the brain type of field. It's not something I'm interested in. I think it's very exciting. I understand that just enough to be dangerous. But I want our kids to be able to see this as an exciting field for them to go into or just open their horizons. You know, we get stuck in a, 
a tunnel sometimes, I think, um, as humans. And when you're able to broaden those, those fields, I think uh, our kids will be able to see a whole different future for themselves possibly. And who knows, maybe some of our kids will be the next people creating the new technology or the new whatever in this industry. So, you know, I'm excited about it and I'm excited for the, not only the potential for our tribe, but for the entire nation, if nothing else, Indian country, see what Indian country can do with this and improve upon it. I want us to be the start and allow this to help other people make it even better and even do more and be more and have more. So I'm excited. Can't say that enough. Jesse, anything you would add about different benefits that um, came out through the negotiations that, yeah, that you would add? Just that there was a lot of uh, excitement and support around this project, which is exciting to see, and that tribes are doing a lot of cool things in energy, but um, we are not aware of, of this type of project happening. So we take that responsibility greatly, and so do our partners. And um, And we know that there's a lot of stakeholders, too. We know that there's a lot, you know, clean energy community, the agencies of Minnesota, the, the people who voted for this, we know that this is something that a lot of people feel ownership on uh, for, and, and we wanna honor that as well. I just wanna say thank you to everyone who has helped be a part of this, even if it was a small part, you know, Prairie Island didn't do this all on their own. Um, we had to work with our partners at the state level and the legislature, we had to work with, you know, Excel and Dakota, electric they've all been so supportive and helpful and and you know this is going to be of course it's going to be a prairie island process and a prairie island project uh, and success story but not just prairie island it was a, a huge team effort and um i always say it we have the best staff around um including our outside lobbying group you know everybody's been so great and worked so hard on this and it's been great to see to see all that thank you You've both spoken to this a bit, but just if there's anything more about how this project is helping the tribe reimagine what's possible in the future. I just think it's it's opening up a door that I personally never thought was there. It's like this magical door that appeared that we're able to now kick through the door. And, and it's just, uh, it's definitely opened my eyes to new things. And with our community garden and our food sovereignty program, I see where this could even play into that and they can work together on even bigger and better things. We have a greenhouse with aquaponics we're working on and you know I can see that program expanding and doing more and possibilities are endless. That's where I see right now, even not understanding this field that well, I, I just know that the possibilities are endless for us and I'm excited to see where we can take it and where our, our staff can envision new things and on our tribal members can experience or envision new things. I, I would be excited to see how this develops into a true community-owned project. Um, I think when you talk about community engagement in you know anywhere, that a lot of times end up look ends up looking like a bunch of staff doing the work and then having a meeting with the constituents and talking about it and seeing if there's questions or feedback. And I'm hoping we can find a different model here that really creates an, an ownership, a participation and an engagement that looks different than that and that people can feel really good about. I second that. I would love to get more of our people involved mm -hmm. in the actual work. Oh, that's outstanding. And uh, even though we're at the, the beginning of the process, you're at the beginning of the process here, are there any sort of 
lessons learned or or uh, best practices that that you have utilized to date, either through the legislative process or or running that uh, robust RFP process that you did use. Um, any any sort of best practices or lessons learned that uh, if you were talking to a local government or another tribal nation uh, that you would share with them at this time? Um, I'll let Jesse do the majority of this one. The one thing I can see right off the top of my head is don't think that you know everything or that you have to do everything. Um, we reached out to Peter mm -hmm. and to Excel, you know, especially Excel being a, no one would ever think that we would go to Excel for help or they could help us in this measure. But, you know, we, we brought in other partners to help us even with the RFP to develop the RFP process. Um, Peter helped, you helped with the interviews, you know, you uh, ask questions that we may not know because to ask because this isn't our field. Um, and council, especially we deal with so many different subjects that I can't know everything about everything as much as I would love to and as much as I pretend like I do, um, you just can't. So I think you have to reach out to those people and get that extra support from experts in the field that can give you advice. Yeah, and uh, through the, the process of, all right, we got the law passed, what do we do now? We issue the RFP, you know, there was just, there was a lot of thinking and a lot of work involved in every little step. And I think that, you know, be prepared for a ton of work. And uh, I've done procurement process that were very simple and this one was very robust and I'm really happy with the results of this. And, uh, you know, the, the level of transparency and the level of communication that we had with everyone touching this, all along the way. And, you know, we've had questions about, well, how does Dakota Electric, you know, feel about this? And the truth is they have been a huge supporter. And, you know, I, I spoke to uh, to them yesterday and we've communicated the whole way. And to reiterate what everyone knows is that communication is, is key. And I feel good about where we're at in this moment and having communicated along the way and hopefully that will continue throughout. And I would also add patience. You have to have patience with this. I'm one that, you know, we get an idea, let's get it, let's make it work, let's get it finished, let's go. Um, so I would suggest that you take baby steps, baby celebrations, like, you know, we've gone through the RFP process and the interview process and, and we've um, picked our partner in this. That's a milestone for me. That's something to go, yay, we did it. But just because I'm excited about it and I'm like, yay, I know the job's not complete. I know that's just the small beginning. So you have to be willing to just have these tiny celebrations, knowing that you're in it for the long haul. Great words of wisdom there. And so, and if others were to take some of those words and, and move forward into action, how do you hope this work, this project, and the leadership that the Prairie Island Indian community is taking to advance clean energy and energy sovereignty inspires action? I hope that people will see that you don't have to be an expert in clean energy or in this effort in order to just get started and to hopefully make a change that you can even take on projects as long as you're willing to learn and find those partners that can help you. Um, that that every city, every town, every business has to start somewhere. And so don't let um, not knowing be a barrier to trying. 
and you know that uh, just I think number one for me is that Prairie Island is an example of taking what is is really forced upon them as a negative energy story as as a, you know essentially a victim and they have turned around and put themselves in a place of power and a new story of energy that is going to be fantastic and that that to me is a story of perseverance and courage. And you can't be afraid to ask questions. There's no stupid questions in this. Um, so don't be afraid to ask questions, even if it's just a simple answer. You gotta be, there's only one way to, to know and understand and learn something and that's to ask questions. And thank you for this opportunity. I think one of the things that's really important to us is storytelling and this, while you can see it as a project and you know, with its, its technology and its big industry parts, uh, to me, this is just an extension of pra the Prairie Island story. So I appreciate the opportunity to tell it from where we're at today. Wonderful. And I'm pleased to be able to help in that process. And um, yeah, any any other ways that we can help spread the word? Okay. Thank you. After recording this interview, Prairie Island Indian Community announced the partners it selected to help advance the Prairie Island Net Zero Project. As part of that announcement, President Buck noted, we found partners that not only understand how to create the right energy solution, but they also understand native culture and the importance of what this project means to our sovereignty and our future. Prairie Island will be working with a team led by Indian Energy and Chief Strategy Group, both Native American-owned companies, to help create an energy system for the tribe that results in net zero emissions in the years ahead. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of the Clean Energy Resource Team's Energy Futures podcast, featuring our guests, Prairie Island Indian Community Tribal Council President Shelley Buck and General Counsel Jesse Stomsky-Syme, co-hosted by Peter Lindstrom, CERT's Manager of Public Sector and Community Engagement, and myself, Marie Donahue. We look forward to continuing to support the Prairie Island Indian Community and other tribal nations across Minnesota in efforts to advance clean energy. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to tune back in each month as we release additional conversations with clean energy leaders in Minnesota. Until next time.